the book of Acts, the second chapter. I'm glad to know where my roots are. Amen. Amen. I'm glad my roots don't run to Azusa Street. I'm glad my roots don't run to Topeka, Kansas. My roots run to Jerusalem, to the upper room. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. Amen. The word of the Lord says very plainly in the book of Acts, the second chapter, it continues to talk about them, them, them. They were in the up room, fell on them. It keeps talking about it all the time. And, you know, I, all I can tell you is I'm one of them. I'm just, I'm one of them, and I'm glad to be one of them. I'm thankful today to be Holy Ghost filled, water baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of my sin. There's nothing like the truth. Amen. I want to draw, if I could today, from the book of Acts, the second chapter. And I would just like to read. Uh, a couple of verses to you, if I may. It's going to kind of, uh, I'm going to kind of pick up mid-story and then we'll fill in the gaps after you're seated. But I'd like for you to join me, uh, if you would, please, in the sec- uh, second chapter of the book of Acts and the 12th verse. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 12. Praise God. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not, I'll ramble for 15 more minutes. Praise the Lord. And they were all amazed. And we're in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Couldn't figure out what was going on. Then there were others that, that were mocking, and they said, these men are full of new wine. Somebody shout new wine. New wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and he said unto them, ye men of Judea, And all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. In other words, you hear what I'm about to tell you. These are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is that that Joel said was coming. He said in... The last days it shall come to pass, saith God, that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And he continues to tell what's going to happen and how it's all transpiring. But the point very simply is that these people were so intoxicated by the power of the Holy Ghost that the world could not figure out what was wrong with them. And I fear in, in my introduction today, my greatest fear is that we're going to get to the place, if we're not careful, that we bring no confusion to the world at all of what's happened to us. If we're not truly converted, has there been a big enough change in my life that when people look at me, they can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, Something has happened to them. Something has transpired in their life. And if you preach a God that doesn't require repentance, doesn't require baptism, doesn't require the infilling of the Holy Ghost for salvation, then the world has nothing to look at and say, well, they've changed. But I want to preach to you today from a very simple thought, if I could. I want to preach to you when new wine gets old. When new wine gets old. Lord bless you. You may be seated. I feel uh, somewhat like I can 
concur with the voice of the psalmist. He said, I have been young and now I'm old. Well, I have been young and I'm not old. I'm not even getting close to old, thank God. But I'm older. And I've lived through a lot of things. I've been blessed to see a lot of things in life. And uh, one of the greatest things that I feel like the Lord gave me is a gift of memory. Um, my sister used to say I remembered everything at, right after the coming out of the birth canal. I remembered everything in the room, all the doctors that were. And she's like, you just, you remember everything. And uh, somebody would say something about a revival that my dad preached somewhere. And I'd say, yeah, you remember that guy in their church? And he'd say, no, I, I don't remember that guy. But uh, memory is a blessed thing. It's a blessed thing to have in your mind. And I remember as a child when my family would buy me good gifts, you know, at, at birthday times and holidays, you're like, oh, I just can't wait to get that gift. It's like what everybody else has. It's the, uh, the latest scooter. I remember the year that my grandfather, Brother Bingham, bought me and Jody and LeBannon, all three, the exact same scooter. Now, all these punks today think they got something neat because they're riding scooters. I'm like, chump, we had them. Before you were ever even thought of. And mine weren't hard rubber tires. Either. Like mine were the kind you put air in them. I had like the BMX model. Like the, they had spoked wheels. And mine was neon green with white tires. I was, I was beasting on that thing. And everybody had scooters. Now Papa wanted to be sure that nobody's scooter was any different. So he bought all three of them exactly the same. It created a little bit of chaos. Because as soon as somebody got a scratch on theirs and it wasn't theirs anymore, that one's LeBannon's. But the scooters were like the thing to have. You know, when, when I was a little younger than that, is there anybody in here that remembers big wheels? Yeah, yeah boy, them suckers were awesome. Them big wheels. I think I wore out about 15 of them. I'd go all the way through the hard plastic tire, I'd peel out. You know, you stop that peeling out when you're buying tires. That used to sound like a cool deal. You know, somebody's got a fast car. Oh, do you peel out? And they're like, no, I buy my own tires. And uh, after a while, them big wheels, you know, they'd, you'd, you'd work on them for a little while up and down the driveway. And finally, they'd get a, get a hole in the front tire. But as time changes, it's like the thing that you wanted the most, the thing that you wanted to have the most, it becomes less and less valuable to you. When it's the latest G.I. Joe and your mom and dad buy you the G.I. Joe for Christmas and you take that... G.I. Joe and play with it for two days, take it in there and have warfare in the bathtub, and you've killed every bad guy that G.I. Joes were killing, and uh, then you just put it in the little bucket over there by the tub, and you forget that it's there, and you quit playing with it, but you were excited about it last week. You were excited to have it. It used to be something that you loved, that baby doll that the little girl had, and she would braid its hair and wash it, and you'd go get in there, and the baby doll would be laying in the shower where you're trying to get in the shower. And it's, why is that baby doll in the shower? I just washed her hair. I'm like, she don't stink. And you don't even want to wash your own hair, and you're washing the baby's hair. And those baby dolls now, they're laid up in piles. Like, I could be a blessing to somebody today that wants 472,000 baby dolls. I, I'm your man. Barbies, after a while they were prized possession. Now there's something to make you say ugly words in the night if you step on them. You know what I'm saying? 
It was like something that was so valuable to you, but now it's old and it, it don't matter anymore and it just lays by the wayside. And I want to tell you folks, as crazy as that sounds and as comical as it can be, it is a fact that once you have been filled with this glorious Holy Ghost, it's not just something that God fills you with the Holy Ghost and then you just go about your business. If we're not careful, we're going to let the Holy Ghost lose its power in our life. And Isaiah, the first chapter and the 22nd verse, it was the prophet. He said, your, your silver has become dross. He said, your water has been mixed with wine. He said, your wine has been mixed with water. It's watered down. It doesn't have the power that it used to have. Well, is that because the Holy Ghost has become less? Because we've put more water in with what used to have power. We live in a society where people are saying, water down the message. You don't have to preach it that hard anymore. People don't want that, but you listen to what this preacher's telling you. If you water down a Holy Ghost message, there ain't nobody getting drunk on it. I'm glad to tell you that the Holy Ghost they received on the day of Pentecost was powerful enough that when they walked out of the upper room, men and women were mesmerized in their heart and they said, what in the world has happened to these people? They've got to be drunk. I'm going to stand on my soapbox for a moment, but please forgive me today. If it sounds like I'm trying to be abrasive, I don't mean to be abrasive in any way, but I'm telling you that's why I don't want a Holy Ghost church that doesn't believe in the Holy Ghost. I don't want to be a part of a movement that says the Holy Ghost is optional. That means God treats us like stepkids, and some people get gifts that other people don't get. I'm glad to tell you that this promise is unto you and to your children. Verse 39, and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I was, uh, I was preaching last week in Ohio and I started talking about some people in the church and how things go and one of my favorite things one of my favorite things in ministry matter of fact it was 21 years ago this this around this time right here this past week 21 years ago that I came back to Anderson on full-time pastoral staff in this church I can't believe that 21 years been here and through those years I've watched people come to the Lord and they would come to church very reluctant, somewhat trepidatious, and no big deal. You know, don't want nobody bothering me. Don't want, no, don't want anybody saying anything. And about that time, somebody cut loose. And uh, somebody let out a, whoa! You watch them like, oh, my God, what, what in the world have I got myself into, you know? I got a buddy that uh, uh, was in a backslidden condition, and he married this girl that had never been around Pentecost at all. And he told me, he said, brother, the first Pentecostal church I took her to was Brother Holmes. He said, I took her to Brother Holmes in North Little Rock. And he said, this guy right in front of us, the Holy Ghost got to move and said, we're just sitting there kind of listening and watching everything's going on. This guy in front of us said he got up and he took off running. She leaned over and said, what's he running from? <laughs> it's funny. You got to be careful, though, because you can wish that away. 
And I'm, I was talking about how people are so funny when they come in and they, they watch folks. And this is one of my favorite statements I've ever heard in ministry. One of my favorites. I love to write it down. I will never do that. <laughs> I, uh-uh. If you think they're going to drag me up to the front of that church and let all them crazy people get around me and one side saying, hang on, the other side, turn loose. apostolic altar worker. My God, hang on. Turn loose, turn loose. What am I hanging on to? What am I turning loose of? <laughs> Woo! And you always have that one that's never satisfied to just hold the hands of the feeble. Back in the 80s, we could call them poof smashers because they wanted to pray for the people with the poof in them. <laughs> they smash them old hairy poof, you know. I'm telling you right now, folks, Aquanet got a lot of Pentecostal girls through in the 80s and 90s. That Aquanet was powerful stuff. It could, it could survive Jackie Langston evangelist. There ain't very many people in here remember Jackie Langston when he come preach for us. But if Jackie Langston laid hands on you, he didn't touch your little forehead with oil. He grabbed hold of them boys and rub all the gel. Anybody here know what gel is? Uh, Pastor, we use hair fiber. Well, congratulations. We all got that stuff. You get 84 ounces for $2. We did. I remember when I got foam. Foam. Put foam in my hair. And you get it just right. And just about the time you got it all just the way you want it, got your hair just right. You come to church on a Sunday night and it'd be a thunder. Holy Ghost, get to moving. I'd be up in the, on, on the drums playing, have on a new suit all pressed, my creases all done right, got creases all the way down my arm, looking just good, and the Holy Ghost gets to move, my ties start getting wet, getting ring around the collar, start taking it off. Holy Ghost start moving, sweat dripping off of me. My new suit's all soaking wet because the Holy Ghost is moving. Hey, I want to tell you something. That don't ever get old to me. It don't ever get old to me. I want to be a part of a hand clapping, foot stomping, aisle running church. I want to be a part of a Holy Ghost revival church. That will never happen to me. I will never do that. Just keep on talking, child of God. I cannot wait to see you slinging bobby pins. I can't wait to see that spirit of pride get lifted off of people. And they're cockeyed and hanging sideways and that top button's undone like that. You know what? Pretty preachers may have their place. That's all right. Just stand up there and bat your eyes all you want to, friend. You, you live your best life now. But I'm just going to tell you about this preacher right here. I love being in the presence of an almighty God. With some old sinner in the back while we're preaching, gripping hold of the back of the pew. Saying, I don't know how much longer I can sit here. 
because conviction has gripped my heart. Hey, I love being in the house of God when somebody makes up in their mind, I'm not going to be this way tomorrow. I'm bowing my knee at an altar of repentance today. I'm going to get baptized in Jesus' name today. That never gets old to me. I feel like I feel like a little old bitty child when I'm teaching somebody a Bible study and you get it's like you don't expect them to get it you know you get to the end of the Bible study and they're like well when can I get baptized right. I'm like ah So everybody got the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues? Yes, 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 they did, yes. Everybody in the book of Acts got the Holy Ghost, spoke another tongue. So why haven't I? Oh, my God, it's about to happen. It's a great feeling. I love it. I was giving a Bible study one day to somebody. I just knew that as soon as I finished, they were going to wear me out like, I don't believe that. I don't think all that's necessary. I was teaching a Bible study on the oneness of God. And I finished with the Bible study. And the woman looked at me with a real puzzled look on her face and she said, I've always known Jesus was God. I said, yeah. She said, yeah. When I was a little girl and I prayed, she said, I didn't feel like I was praying to God the Father and God the Son. She said, I just prayed to the Lord and I always felt like I was praying to Jesus. I said, really? I don't have nothing else to say. She's like, oh, I see it completely. And I'm like, wow, that's what we need. We need revelation. We need people to get it. It never gets old to me. I love preaching. I love preaching. When I step up to the pulpit and I start quoting Isaiah 9 and 6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. It never gets old to me. I don't ever get tired of Colossians 2 and 9. Ever. For in him dwelleth all the fullness. And it reconciles with Matthew 28 and 18 that all power in heaven and earth, all the fullness of the Godhead, it's in him bodily. Church family, if that ever gets old to us, we're in trouble. I don't understand why they feel the need to preach on the Holy Ghost all the time. I don't understand why they feel the need to preach on Jesus' name, baptism. I don't know, but I sure am glad there's some folks in here today that know if they wouldn't have heard it preached, they'd have never got up out of their seat and came to the front of this church and been baptized in Jesus' name. I'll never forget the night. I wasn't even preaching. Brother Johnson was preaching. I'll never forget the night. I looked up, and here came Hensel. First time he came, he sat over here in the middle, and I thought he was having a heart attack. It's true, isn't it? Am I lying? My granddad went back there and laid hands suddenly. <laughs> so I didn't know what to do with Brandon. Next time he came, I wasn't preaching. Brother Johnson was preaching. He was over here. He came walking up, and I was standing over here. And his way, I'm just going to make fun of you, Brandon. That's all right. Still love me. Brandon comes up and he's like. I'm like, well, you know, buddy, I'm sitting right over here. He goes, I want to be baptized. Yeah. 
Cool. And he goes, and I want you to do it. <laughs> I want you to do it. It's like, that's no problem. Like, what do you think? He's like, right now. Am I lying? I remember that night. Because he was struggling a little bit with the blabber talking thing. Am I right? Come here, Brandon. I want everybody to see. I want everybody in camera land to see who I'm talking about. It's my board. I feel it. It may get on you a little bit up here too, bud. Woo! We got Brandon up there in the baptistry. And I said, upon the profession of your faith, because you've repented of your sins and you desire to be baptized, I now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And when I put him under the water, I looked down and the water started bubbling because his mouth was open and he came up out of that water speaking in a brand new tongue. It never gets old to me. Oh God, I feel him in this house on Sunday morning. I opened my eyes and looked down in that water and he was shaking and the water was bubbling like the water was boiling. He come up, blah, 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 blah. He came up out of that water speaking in a brand new tongue as the Spirit gave the utterance. I've come to tell somebody this morning, it's real. <laughs> Brother Magruder used to sing a song, said it's not form and it's not fashion. He said, it's old, yet it's new. It's powerful, yet it's true. And I'm so glad this Holy Ghost is genuine. I've come to tell somebody in the house today, if you've been pondering these things in your heart and you're wondering if there's anything real to it, I'm just telling you today, you can have the baptism of the Holy Ghost today. You may be in this house this morning and it's been a little while since you spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And even in your private prayer time, you've said to the Lord, I just want to feel what I used to feel. I just want to be satisfied like I used to be satisfied. Well, baby, I've got good news for you. I know the soul satisfier. He's in the house this morning. Somebody give him praise. I feel him in this house. If I keep it together for three more hours so I can finish this sermon, it's going to be a miracle. Not really. So there's just some things in life that God has given us. We absolutely, positively cannot afford for it to get old. But Pastor, I, I, don't, I don't understand how I got this far. It used to be the most precious thing to me. And I, I don't know how I ever got this far away. I've seen kids I grew up with in this church. Watch them pray in, in, in the Holy Ghost. I hope my kids find out what I'm talking about when I say, 
They got drunk in the Holy Ghost. You know, that really did happen in Pentecostal churches. remember carrying kids out. They'd go home, lay in bed, talk in tongues all night. My mom and dad said, went and checked on her at 4 o'clock in the morning. She's still in there talking in tongues. How's that happen? It happens when we fully submit our will to God. And we'd absolutely rather be in the will of God than we would be having the applause of men. It's really, really hard to pray for his kingdom to come, but your kingdom not go. How does it happen? How does an apostolic church finally get to a place where things that used to matter don't matter anymore? Now, folks, I, I'm just I'm just going I'm just going to be really brutally honest with you right here today. This is a great church. I thank God for this church. Ninety-one years this church has been in this city. Ninety-one years preaching truth in this city. But if you think for one minute. That there couldn't be a sign in the front yard of this church. You've lost your mind. Because if we don't cherish the things of God. He could lift his hand off of this church. And maybe it don't bother you like it bothers me. But I've, I've had visions and horrible visions about the days that somebody would walk into this church. Stand behind this pulpit and preach false doctrine. And all you have to do is leave a vacant spot where truth used to be preached, but it's not talked about anymore, and somebody will be happy to fill that vacancy. Can I be real with you this morning? How do we get to the place where baptism is not essential anymore? I'll tell you how we do it. We lose our joy. When someone's in the altar and says, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name, we say, okay, good. The first Sunday of every month, we do Baptism Sunday. I saw a church some time ago, and I, please understand, I'm not being critical. This is not a I'm right there wrong thing. But I saw a church having Baptism Sunday, and they set up a swimming pool on their platform. It's a great big high ceiling like this, but it, it was a little higher than this part. And they got this big, huge water slide. I, so help me God. If I'm lying, I'm dying. The people lined up to get baptized. And people were climbing up the ladder one at a time. And he was standing at the bottom with the microphone saying, I now baptize you. And they'd slide down in the water and get baptized. How far away are we from that? I'll tell you how far away we are. We're this close to it. When you stop believing that baptism is an essential covenant and it becomes a form and fashion of just joining a church, it doesn't have the power to wash away sin anymore. It just says you're on the roll of another church. Oh, Lord, I'm trying my best today. I've seen men that I grew up preaching with, preaching around. That today, if you ask them about the Holy Ghost, they'll say, well, I don't think it's essential. I think God gives it to some people, but I mean, it's not essential for salvation. How do you get to that point? You get frustrated. I hope you all got your seatbelts on. 
you get frustrated when it's been a while since somebody's got the Holy Ghost in your church. And instead of going back to work and getting people in and need the Holy Ghost, I'm just going to drop this lead balloon out over here and tell you, it's hard for people to get the Holy Ghost if everybody in the building has it. It's hard for people to get baptized if everybody in the building has been baptized in Jesus' name. It's hard for God to do miracles when everybody in the church has been healed. I've shared this in this church, I'm sure. It happened to me several, several years ago, right before I preached convention in Indianapolis. I was standing behind this keyboard on a Sunday night, and the Holy Ghost was moving powerful. People dancing, shouting, running. The drums were, were going. You know it's good church, Brother Jordan, when your hands start getting tired and you're stiff on the keyboard, right? Last Sunday night. I said, man, that was good playing. He said, my wrist was locked up. I knew I was done. Like, that's when you know it's good church. And I'm standing up here, man. This, this is a sub right here, this big speaker right here. And the, uh, just the bass part comes through this right here. So I knew we were having good church when my britches were rattling. The old sub was kicking. And I'm up there, and the Holy Ghost spoke to me. Just I was getting ready to preach. The choir was singing real good, and the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, look around. So I'm looking around. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome, isn't it, God? He said, look again. I'm like, okay. So I'm looking around the room. Like, what in the world's going on? The Lord spoke to me. He said, look really close. I said, okay, God, I'm looking. What are you saying? He said, I'm saying to you that 90% of what you're doing in this room right now, you could do with or without me. We get to the place that music carries us. The style of preaching carries us. We're moved by emotion and exhilaration. But we're never lost in the power of the Holy Ghost. We never transition from this world to another world where the Spirit of God moves on us. Let me tell you all something. It, it ought not be strange to us when we read in the Scripture and we hear people talk about, I was carried away in a vision. Do you understand that Peter that was there on the day of Pentecost, the only reason that he went to Cornelius' house and preached to the Gentiles is because he was in a trance on the roof of the tanner's house? And we got this fear in our brain that we're going to be so heavenly minded we're of no earthly good. I think that ought to be the least of our concerns. Well, Pastor, you can't just walk around talking in tongues all the time. I think you're missing what I'm saying to you. When the joy of the Holy Ghost is missing out of your life and somebody has to remind you, I, I thought you had the Holy Ghost. I'm not saying people with the Holy Ghost don't have bad days. I'm just telling you my bad days are different than people that don't have the hope I have. How do we get to that place? The Apostle Paul, who was telling his son the gospel, Timothy, he said, please. He said, come, come quickly to me. Bring me my cloak. Bring me my books. He said, I, I need you to come quickly, Timothy. He said, please get here as quick as you can. And he makes this statement that the heart of every pastor, every preacher that has loved people 
can fully understand what he's saying. He said, Demas hath forsaken me. It feels odd that the apostle would take it so personal. He didn't say, Demas hath forsaken the Lord. He said, Demas, Demas hath forsaken me. Why did he feel that way? Because he was invested in Demas. He loved Demas. But when somebody that you have preached to and loved and invested in and, and been there in dark times, when those people walk away from God, it breaks the heart of a pastor. And Paul said, he hath forsaken me. Having loved this present world. Everybody stay with me. I'm going to show you how it happens. The New Testament certainly reflects that Paul experienced two separate imprisonments in Rome. The first imprisonment lasted roughly two years. It was somewhere in the neighborhood of A.D. 61 to 62 for that full two-year span. The second imprisonment of Paul was somewhere, we believe, around 64 A.D., so two years later. The Apostle Paul was in his second Roman imprisonment. The letters of Philippians, Ephesians, and Colossians, and Philemon were dispatched during the first imprisonment as he awaited his hearing before Caesar in Acts, the 28th chapter. From which he was subsequently released. But my point to you is that during that first imprisonment. Paul made specific mention. That Demas was with him. While he was awaiting trial. He stands along such noteworthy men. Like Tychicus, Onesimus, Mark, Jesus, Justice, Epaphras, and Luke. Standing beside the Apostle Paul. Those dark and hard and arduous years in Rome. They were certainly difficult and filled with much turmoil. As well as victories. There was so much to be done. But Paul had a faithful man beside him that he mentioned. He said, Demas was beside me. It's no wonder that in Philemon the 24th chapter. Paul spoke of Demas and he called him a fellow laborer. He said, Demas was my fellow laborer standing beside me. The word reflects that Demas was no slouch. Demas was no fly by night. Demas didn't just show up one day, flash in the pan, and out the next day. He was ever bit as critical as Timothy, as Onesimus, as Jesus Justice, as Tychicus, as Mark, and as Luke, who was still with Paul as he was writing to Timothy. He was desperate to keep good men around him. He helped doing his part with the division of labor, dividing it up, working, the fellow worker. But just a few years later, as the Apostle Paul is writing, we find out Colossians 60 A.D., written Colossians 60 A.D., Roman jail, Demas was there. Second Timothy was written about 64 to 68 A.D., somewhere in that circle right there. Can you imagine that in just four short years? He goes from being imprisoned with the apostolic to doing whatever he had to do to be loosed from the apostolic. 
Oh, pastor, well, it's just because there was pressure on him. You understand, this is not just something that Demas did. It's cyclical. It happens all throughout the scripture. You notice that Jesus Christ himself, when he's in the wilderness doing miracles, signs, and wonders, and he's uh, blessed, breaking, and multiplying the loaves and the fishes, there's thousands. Where were the thousands when he was in Pilate's Hall? Where were the thousands in Gethsemane? Where were the thousands at the foot of the cross? They were the same place that Peter was following at a distance. Because the closer you get to crucifixion, the crowd always thins out. And Demas got to the place where he said, I'm not sure it's worth it anymore. I'm not sure it's worth it to pay the price anymore. There was a time I was willing to die for this thing, but now I'm not even willing to live for it. How does it happen? How does it happen that somebody would invest themselves in the kingdom of God, fall in love with Jesus, fall in love with truth, fall in love with being baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, living holy and separated from the world, get a little bit disgruntled in their spirit? And you know how it happens? One Sunday at a time. One Wednesday night at a time. It happens one prayer meeting at a time. It just happens one service at a time. You get up and your heart's broken. You're upset with somebody. You're frustrated. We don't know who Demas got frustrated with. We don't know if Demas got frustrated or not with the Apostle Paul. We really don't know. But what we do see is that there was a progression that happened in his life that today I'm willing to do whatever I have to do and risk whatever I have to risk. But something sounds better to me. On the other side of this, there's got to be more to life than what What's happening outside the apostolic church? And it leads us to a problem that we have today. And I'm pleading with you to understand my heart is sincere when I tell you that while the world is saying be more open-minded, be more open-minded, be more open-minded, what we've come to is a place where people are so open-minded their brains are falling out. I'm going to sound a little bit hard right here, okay? I'm going to sound a little fanatical right here, okay? But let me just tell you, sooner or later, you're going to have to just seal it out and say, this is truth. I believe this is truth. I don't believe there's any other way to be saved. Well, what about my family member that wasn't saved? Listen, you've got to let God be God, and you've got to believe what you still believe to be truth. This is not Pentecostal rhetoric. It was Jesus Christ himself that told Nicodemus, you must be, you must be, you must be, you must be born again of water and of spirit. I'm going to make a statement right here that I believe has the potential to change your walk with God forever today. Is everybody with me? I'm going to make a statement right here that I feel could change the way you live for God. Difficult times will reveal the quality of one's conversion. Can I say that again? Difficult times reveal the quality of one's conversion. How many times have you heard pastors say it? Talk is cheap. It's easy to hang around the church while 
Revival's going on. It's easy to be here when the prophet's in. People are getting called out. Blessings happening. Things. Oh, good God, man. We got a guest preacher. We start bringing people. We're bringing for two weeks of revival. But left 50 weeks out of the year and said, ah, whatever. I'm praying that God will grip our hearts. I was crying out to the Lord this morning. My wife and kids left the house. And I was crying out to the Lord. And it carried over in my car the whole way here to the house of the Lord this morning. I was saying, God, do something that will shake the First Pentecostal Church. Do something in this church that will shake this city. God, don't let us just get all wrapped up in coming to church and being happy that we've had a good service together. Don't, don't let us just get caught up, God. I was pleading before the Lord, God, please shake us today. Do something in me that when I'm preaching the word this morning, it's not another Sunday morning. It's not just another formality that we're going through. We're not just trying to punch in at 1045 and punch out at 12 o'clock. We need a move of God. We need a sovereign revival that will sweep the streets of Anderson, Indiana. That will turn people and their hearts toward God. My mind reflected as Brother Jordan was teaching so beautifully this morning in class. And he said, before I was ever his pastor, he sat down in my office and I told him, Brother Jordan, there's not very many things that a few days of fasting won't turn around for you in your life. I'm going to tell you, if you want to keep it fresh, if you want to keep this new wine fresh, you've got to dislocate yourself from a love of this old present world. You're not going to get there by everybody else fasting. You're not going to get there by everybody else being on the 24-hour our prayer chain. You got to get something in your heart that says I'm sold out if it's in a Roman prison or in the middle of revival. Pastor, I don't understand why you're preaching like this this morning because here's the point I got to get to you. Are you ready? If it can happen to Demas, it can happen to you. I've already been preaching too long, but I've got to just push through this for just a minute. I'm going to tell you something, church. I'm going to get really, like, transparent right here, okay? I'm, I'm going to be pretty crazy transparent for a minute, so stay with me. But what's happening in this present world has manifested in, in the church age. I want you to listen closely to me, okay? I'm going to try to help somebody. There are people in this society... That have dislocated themselves mentally and emotionally from the marriage vows and commitment that they have taken because they live in a fantasy world. They wonder why their home is in disarray and their marriage is in a mess and why there's no real love and compassion in their home anymore, why it feels cold. And I'm just going to tell you what I've learned that it's because there's a very large percentage of men and women, not just men, men and women, that have addicted themselves to a fantasy world. And it used to be that if you wanted to have any of that world at all, you had to go to a bookstore or a, 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 a movie rental place, and you had to sneak off into the back room, you know? 
Like you had to go to the part where no kids were allowed to go in there. And you had to feel like a little bit awkward. You'd see them guys walk in, pull their hat down a little bit lower so nobody could see them. They'd walk through the folding doors at Lee's video. You knew where they were going. I mean, you had to really want that world. Now, people just carry it around with them. It's free. You don't have to pay the price. Lord, I'm preaching right now. I mean, why in the world would you invest in a marriage when you have to pay for that? And you can just have a fantasy world. And so here's what happens. You can think I'm lying if you want to. Research for yourself. I've spent a lot of time researching this, studying this. I've read I don't know how many books. I'm just trying to help people because it's an epidemic in the body of Christ. And I want you to listen very closely to Pastor when I tell you that whenever you engage in pornographic imagery, there is a release of chemicals in your brain that's the exact same chemical release as when someone hits drugs. It becomes an addiction. And so our world has been enveloped that the fantasy world has become the new reality. Whew. I didn't anticipate anybody running the aisles right now. Listen very closely to me. The enemy has worked on the church this year. And he has tried to make the church. This is not going to be popular. But he has tried to make the church become the kind of marriage that men and women have that aren't even married. They've married themselves to fantasy. They live their love life virtually. And the enemy has tried to do the same thing to the church this year. And make intimacy with Christ become a virtual relationship. If I've ever known I'm in the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you I'm in it right now. Why in the world have we moved to the place where virtual prayer meetings are the new norm? Listen to this preacher when I tell you today that slowly and progressively, Bishop, the enemy wants to desensitize us. Listen, after you've seen virtual congregation for long enough, after a while, at the beginning, you're like, oh, God, I don't want to do this forever. And after a while, you're like, this isn't really that bad. I've church hopped all weekend and didn't even have to spend any fuel. I mean, you, you can hear 14 preachers every Sunday. And all of a sudden, you got more voices speaking in your life than you ever dreamed. Some of them are speaking in different directions, and now you feel confusion. What's wrong with me? You've made your intimacy with Christ a virtual world where you're not connecting with the heart of God. And it just feels different, but now it feels normal. I feel the Holy Ghost trying to break through. we got to get through this hardness right here. Tell you folks, James didn't have a video camera when he said, Lay your hands on the sick and pray the prayer of faith. 
and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. It is difficult times that reveal the quality of our conversion. I was talking to a pastor yesterday. And he told me, he said, bro, I've been, he said, it's been such a confusing year. He said, I've never in my ministry in years and years and years had to tell people, don't come to church. So you understand, it's been difficult on pastors this year when we've had to say, if your nose is running, please stay home. But the enemy has used this season to capitalize on it and say, oh, while I got you here. Let me just go ahead and put this in your heart. Let me just go ahead and put this in your spirit. And I'm pleading with you today that you would get a hold of what I'm preaching to you in the spirit in which I'm relaying this to you. That the enemy is trying everything he can to desensitize the heart of God's people. And to make us believe that hearing from God is a fantasy. And that feeling the presence of God is a fantasy world. There is no replacement in your life once you have known the power of the Holy Ghost. You can't replace that power. There will come a day that you won't long for his presence anymore. There will come a day that you won't long to be in the house of the Lord anymore. How long do you have to live until you learn to live without God? How long did it take for Adam and Eve to stop turning around and looking at that flaming sword? How long did it take them until they finally just stopped missing? They they didn't even miss Eden anymore. They didn't even miss the cool of the day anymore because they just got caught up in, in, in seed time and harvest, just living life and having kids, just moving on with it. There's coming a day, if we're not careful, that we're going to be so distanced from the presence of God that our heart won't yearn for it anymore. We won't turn our face toward this flaming sword, the reminder anymore. God, help us today to realize where our help comes from man I feel the brush of angels wings up here this morning Hallelujah. How long do we have to live without an old-fashioned move of God before we stop longing for that move of God anymore? I don't say this at all. Please know my heart. I don't say this at all today to puff myself up or make my family looking better. But over the first week of July when my family and I were sick with the virus... I would call my dad, my mom, because I knew they'd been down here praying. And Brother Gray, I was so broken. I was stuck in my house. And I turned on the live stream and I watched my dad preach. And all I could do was just stand and cry. I just cried. I stood upstairs. We have a bigger monitor so my whole family could watch it. Streamed it on Roku over YouTube. I'm watching, watching y'all have church and music. I'm just sitting there and hot tears are dripping off my face. And in the afternoons, 
Don't tell anybody on camera. I'd leave my house on quarantine in my car. And I would drive down here to this church. And I'd pull my car up outside. And I'd just walk up and put my hands on the wall of the church. I remember one day specifically, I grabbed the pillar out here on the right side. I just held onto the block. I said, God, I don't want to go in because I don't want to put anybody in danger. I said, God, I can't wait. I can't wait till next week. When I get to walk back in that house. I know you probably think I'm crazy. But this is my world. This is where I'm at. And honestly, God, Brandon, I miss the smell of the church. I miss the smell of my office. I miss that wonder that I feel when I walk in this house. You can't hear this. saints of God. Sooner or later, if you let it happen, you're going to lose the wonder. You won't miss him like you used to. I believe today that presence is hovering in this house. Drawing somebody to his presence, saying, okay. I'm going to touch you one more time. Let me help you when I can tell you today. Nobody can touch you like Jesus can.